Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I will come again and take you to myself. So that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. These are familiar words to us, aren't they? They're familiar to those who may have read their way through John's Gospel. Some of us like to try and read our way through the Bible at least once every year, so we'll have read them several times. They're familiar words to us if we've ever attended a funeral, because they're words which are often shared to comfort those who have lost loved ones in Christ. But they're words that they are actually spoken in the original context when Jesus has just informed his disciples that the worst thing in their world is going to happen. That he is going to be stripped away from them. That he is going to be arrested. That he's going to be sentenced. That he is going to be crucified. That's the context. It's part of what we call the upper room context. The, um, uh, there's the Lord's Supper that's happened. Judas has gone off to claim his silver, to grab the soldiers, to come back to arrest Jesus. Jesus has instructed his disciples that they should be a people who are known by their love. But he's really put the cat amongst the pigeons by telling them, where I am going, you cannot follow. And so their hearts are troubled. These people whose lives have been transformed by having Jesus with them, have just been told that they don't get to enjoy his presence any longer. I wonder if you've ever stopped just to think what it would have been like to wander around Galilee with Jesus for three years. No doubt there would have been struggles. No doubt there would have been strains. You constantly had the, the Pharisees and the, the teachers and the elders sort of looking over, scowling, commenting, uh, casting aspersions. They didn't have materially a lot of things to do. Jesus spoke about um, foxes having their holes, but the Son of Man and those who come with him have nowhere to rest their heads. When there was the temple tax to pay, they didn't have the resources to pay it. And yet, and yet, what must life have been like walking, wandering, traveling, teaching alongside Jesus? In my sort of artistic, poetic moments, I can just envisage Jesus and his disciples walking down these dusty Galilean roads and every step that Jesus takes, seeing new life springing up on the borders. Flowers, and, and, and not literally, metaphorically, that wherever he went, there was life for people. The sick healed. As we looked at last week, Lazarus, the dead, raised to life. 
the blind being able to see, the dumb being able to speak, those who had been cast out and ostracized being welcomed in, life, 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 everywhere he went. That coming from Jesus, there was this quality of existence that they'd never encountered or experienced before. Now, Jesus had told them, of course he had. Jesus has told us, if we've read our Bibles, that part of his going away is, is a necessary step in achieving that quality of existence, not just for a moment, for, but for an eternity. But his disciples didn't really understand that. And now they were just faced with this bleak, bleak circumstance that the one who they loved, the one who had transformed existence for them, was going to go away. And it was on a journey they could not follow. I wonder if you've had something in your life, something that has been so precious to you, and the anticipation of it being stripped away is almost too much to bear. Actually, if you have had something like that in your life and it's not Jesus, then probably that's a decent indicator to us of some sort of idol that we're clinging on to. Something that if we, we lost, that if it was robbed from us, if it was snatched away, then, then it would almost feel like the, the walls were caving in on the universe. But it's not an idol for them. It is the God of the I Ams. It is the God who created. It is the God who covenanted. It is the God who has come again, this time in the flesh. Life springing forth wherever he goes, saying, I'm not going to be with you for a whole lot longer, and you cannot come with me. That's when Jesus says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Really, Jesus? Can we anticipate losing you in such a way and not be heart, um, heavy of heart and sorrow laden? Well, yes, says Jesus, because I am going away with a purpose. Perhaps this expression has caused you frustration. Perhaps this expression has caused you confusion. But really, Jesus is here trying to help them to understand that what he is going to do is for their benefit. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go away to prepare a place, I will come back and I will take you to be with myself so that you will be where I am. You know where I'm going. Do you know where Jesus is going? Or are you, like Thomas, completely confused at the language that he's using to describe what lies ahead? Is Jesus talking about heaven? Is Jesus talking about like a, a material, physical space where uh, rooms literally have to be prepared for us in order for us to have a spot to go and inhabit for eternity? But... In a sense, yes, but, but also in a sense, probably more helpfully for us this morning, we have to say no. There's a couple of clues in what Jesus says that really helps us get our head around this. Uh, no less than the fact that the only other time that Jesus makes reference to his father's house, he's not speaking about heaven as we conceive of it, but he's speaking about the temple. Now let's stop and let's think a moment what, what the temple is. 
indeed what the garden was, what the tabernacle was, what Jesus came to be and what he tells us the church is. It's the place in which God dwells. It's the place in which folks can draw near to God in worship and praise and relate to God. Now a little bit further down, this is what Jesus says. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes where? To the Father except through me. Where are you going? How can we get there if we don't know the way? You do know the way. I am the way. I am the way to the Father. You see what Jesus is encouraging them and what Jesus is trying to encourage us with this morning is this wonderful truth that though he may have departed from them for a moment, it was to achieve not just that experience of existence they'd enjoyed for three years, but to make it possible for each of us to enjoy such existence for an eternity. A Thursday evening we were gathered in Lisa and we were going through the Meet Jesus course and I was trying to help folks understand why Jesus died on the cross. Like how that culminating element of his life and his ministry, the thing that he said that he had come to do, the thing that he himself had, had walked toward, had, had pursued, had resolutely decided that he was going to achieve, why? And part of that explanation was helping folks to see that naturally we don't have a relationship with God. Naturally, we are separated from God. Naturally, you and I, though we have, as we were thinking last week, pulse in our veins, breath in our lungs, we don't have life because to be alive is to know God and to be known by God. And all sorts of barriers exist between us and that goal being achieved. It's actually a divide, a chasm, a barrier that is far too big for any of us to bridge. It's the consequences of our rebellion, of our sin, of our choosing to displace God in our lives and fill his throne with us and our thinking or this world and its ways or Satan and his clever schemes plays out in all a manner of different ways, but it's, it's rejecting God. And the Bible described people who have done that as lost, as guilty, as sick, in need of healing. And what Jesus is teaching here, and it's so wonderfully true for all of us, is that he is going away, that he is going to the cross to prepare a place for us. Do you know in the temple, not everyone was welcome. Not everyone was welcome to come and to offer their gifts, their sacrifices, their praise offerings, their fellowship offerings. There were certain races of people, those outside Israel who were kept at a distance, for example. There were certain classes of people. There were women who could only come so close. They couldn't come all the way in. You had people who, through various reasons, uh, through life situations, had become unclean, that they weren't welcome. You see, Jesus here, when he speaks about the Father's house and going to prepare a place, a, a, a place in which there are rooms aplenty for folks like you and me and them and any others, he's speaking about going to make it so that we can come and draw near to the living God. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back three days later. I'm going to send my spirit so that you can 
Be joined with me. Be joined with the Father. Experience life as it was supposed to be now and forevermore. But we don't know where you're going, says Thomas. Jesus says, I will lead you to the Father. So that's sort of the context into which Jesus says these wonderful words. Really what is the focus of our time here as we're working our way through the I am's. Jesus' declaration, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. What is it that Jesus in that context is revealing to us? Well, let's work backwards. Let's, let's start at the last one and make our way to the first one. We considered this a little bit last week, didn't we? That Jesus is life. Not that Jesus has come to, to give us some gift that is apart from him that we might label life, but that actual life, real life, abundant life, eternal life, as he's going to say in John chapter 17, is this, is to know God the Father and to know Christ the Son whom he has sent. That if we remove Jesus from our world, from our existence, we cannot truly call ourselves alive. On Thursday night in Hlisen, we were trying to get people, trying to help people to understand that we can have some of the features of life, but if we're disconnected from God, if we're disconnected from Jesus, we cannot truly be alive. Jesus doesn't say, I have come to bring you to life. Jesus says that he is life for us. And in a similar vein, he doesn't speak about revealing truth, although that is true. Jesus is one who opens our eyes to true things. The Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's a wonderful passage of scripture where he helps unpack and reveal and, and, and clarify certain um, ideas about what it means to, to live with one another as humans imaging God. He says, you've heard it said, but here I tell you the truth, verily, verily, I say unto thee, truly, truly, and boom, truth bomb. Jesus does do that, but it's, that's not what he's saying here. Jesus is saying that without him, he's not here to deliver some truth which is external to himself, but he is very fundamentally truth. I heard it expressed like this once, that a half-truth about God is actually a lie. And I think what someone was getting at was that when we hone in too much just on one element aspect of his, of his character, of his nature, at the exclusion of the others, we might be believing something that is true, but when it's not the whole truth brought together, it's actually a portrait of something which isn't true. Half-truth about God is actually a lie. And I think we can expand that idea further. And, and, and however we conceive of life and existence and the world and ourselves, if Jesus is not a part of that, then as true as some of the things we believe may be, we're actually believing a lie. Jesus wants us to know, Jesus wants us to understand everything in reference to him, that life and existence is only true when Jesus is fully God, fully man, come to rescue, to redeem, to reconcile, to renew sinners and all of this broken 
creation. Jesus says you don't need to know true things. You need to know me in order to find life. Because I am what is truth. And then what about this last one? I am the way. This is probably the one that makes most sense in our minds. That what Jesus is here is not saying is I have come to tell you a way. Or even to show you a way. Although of course Jesus does both of those things. But I have come so that in me there might be a way. I am going, you cannot follow. I am going to prepare a place through my body, through my blood, through my sacrifice, through my dying and being buried and through my rising to life again. There is a way back for all you guilty, lost, sick people. I have come to reconcile in my own body, as how Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 2. Through Jesus' blood, Colossians chapter 1, he is reconciling with us with God. He himself is our way. Not just a kindly stranger who you stop on the side of the road and say, excuse me, could you give me directions to, and points and does, or even says, yep, sure, follow me. Jesus is the one who scoops us up in himself and takes us where we need to be. Did you see that? If I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. There is no way apart from Jesus. There is no truth apart from Jesus. There is no life apart from Jesus because he is the way, the truth and the life. So let me just finish up then by asking you these questions. Do you have life? Uh, That picture that I was painting of walking around Galilee with Jesus. Do you have any sense in which that could be an option? That could be a reality for someone like you or for someone like me? Because the promise of the scriptures is not that the moment we believe in Jesus that everything is hunky-dory. The rain stops falling, the clouds part, the sun shines. But that sense in which there is more to this broken and fractured world than we experience now. It doesn't take very long in self-reflection. It doesn't take very long in reflecting on the world we inhabit to see, do you know what? This is a dying place. The fruit that I see, the harvest that comes out of me and the places where where we move, it's, it's fruit which is symbolic of short-tempered, I'm frustrated, I'm selfish, I'm envious, I'm, I'm rude and crude and all these sorts of things. Do you have that sense in which there could be more to life? There is more to life. Those who know Jesus, those who have life through Jesus, Those who can relate to the Father by the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit are promised peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, humility, self-control, generosity, hospitality, love in abundance. Do you have 
life? Is that even something that you can conceive of or want or pursue? Jesus says, if you can perceive of it, then you can only have it by coming to me. Do you know the truth? And that's not to say, do you know true things? Um, I think we all have a sense of knowing true things. We might know, for example, that the speed limit in Wales changed to 20 miles an hour a couple of weeks ago. That is the truth. Whether we like it or not, it is true. I could look out the window right now and say, it is presently raining. That is true. I could also say true things about God, couldn't I? God is eternal. God is all-powerful. God is, in a sense, everywhere. God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is a God who made things. God is a God who, who feels things, desires things, all true things. But do I have Jesus? Is the God who I believed in shaped, crafted, communicated through the eternal Son who took on flesh and walked in our dying world, literally died for us before rising to life again to offer life to all who would believe in his name? Do you have truth? Is it something that you use to, to shape? Your, your day and your daily living. I made a couple of statements, didn't I? Truth statements. That speed limit in Wales has changed to 20. Now, if you know that, and putting aside all of the folks who might say, well, well, I'm not doing it. I don't think it's right. I'm going to carry on driving at 30 anyway. If you know that, it will shape the decisions that you make. What time you leave the house in order to make a certain appointment. What speed you're going to set your cruise control at the things that you're going to call the person in front of you who is driving at 20 miles an hour. It will shape how you live. So if it's raining outside now, I'm going to have to pop out in a, in a moment. That should shape how I dress. I'm going to put my coat on. I'm going to put my umbrella up so that I don't get wet. You see, the truth, if we have it, affects us. And if God is the sort of God who comes and suffers and struggles and fights and wins in our place and that changes how we live not the fact that we have life life is found in him but how we live when all those disciples were walking around with jesus around galilee time and time again being with the truth it challenged them it challenged them on how they should live think about the story of jesus feeding Many people on the hillside, the disciples came to him and said, look, we need to send these folk away because they haven't had any food. And Jesus said, you've spotted the need, but because I am the truth, this is what I tell you, you feed them. Of course, they didn't have the means. Jesus multiplied the bread and then literally, yes, the disciples took the, the loaves, the fish he took, they took and distributed to those who had need. Having the truth, being with the truth, affects how we live. Do you know the way? I suppose, again, this is the one that makes the most sense of us, to us. How can we ever conceive of being right with God? If we know God through Jesus, this is the sort of God that we have. Well, you know, we, we could create a God in our own image, a God of our own ideas, 
a God who is happy and willing to accept people no matter their state, a God who is happy and willing to overlook all the injustice that we have brought in the world, a God who is happy and willing to accept those who are lost, who have rejected him, who have gone their own way. Of course, we can invent that sort of God, but but really, it, oh, that's all it is, it's an invention. See, Christ has come to reveal to us, to show us who God is. He is a God who is just. He is a God who desires to make things right when we couldn't make things right. If it were not so, Jesus would not have gone to the cross in Calvary. Jesus would not have borne the weight of our condemnation, of our sinfulness. Jesus would not have gone through the ang ang um, anguish of the crucifixion such that we could be saved. It is a wonderful way that Jesus has made. He has spanned the gap between man and God so, so wonderfully, so fully, so freely for us at great expense to him. It is not through perishable things that we have been bought back, but by the precious blood of the Lamb. It's highly costly, but it is free for us. That is the way. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled because I am going, and I am going gladly to make it so that you can come and be and live. I wonder how many of us truly appreciate that. Perhaps this morning you need to lay claim to that. There's nothing you've got to do, there's no price that you've got to pay, but you do need to lay claim to it. You do need to stop trusting in yourself or stop believing in this God of your invention. You do need to come and confess Christ and cling to Christ. You do need to be baptized into his death and rise to new life with him. You do need to be united with Jesus in order to find this life. He is the only way. There is no way to the Father except through him. But guess what? This morning you can come to the Father through Jesus. Lord God, if there is someone watching this morning at a crossroads wondering which way to go, help them to come, to cling to confess, to trust in you, to put their hope and their joy and their life in your hands. For those of us who have come, hallelujah, praise God that we have heard our shepherd's voice. He has formed us into his fold, into his pen of safety. But do we, do we treasure this? Do we treasure the new life that we have in Jesus? Do we reflect on the truth that he brings into our existence? Do we make much of him as the way to know the Father? Or do we start to believe our own hype? Do we start to think, well, yes, God is probably quite happy to have me, quite lucky to have me as part of his following, as part of his fellowship. Do we drop couple of coins into the collection box and thinks well that'll do God you've got my hour and a half on a Sunday morning you've got a couple of my quid and so be it or do we know that our entire existence is directed in this way to come as Jesus and other implications for being those who come through Jesus who know the truth who have life in his name because Philip carries on, 
Thomas's question. And he says, well, Lord, show us the Father. You're saying that there is a way to the Father and it's through you, so show us. That'll be enough. Jesus says, have I been among you all this time and you do not know me? That you haven't already seen the Father through me, Philip. The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is me? The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe in me that I am the Father and the Father is in me. Truly I tell you, verse 12, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. You see, there's this terrible temptation that having come through Christ, we carry on our own way. But there is only one way, and that way is Jesus. So this morning, as we contemplate these words, we celebrate what Christ has done. We enjoy the life that he has given us. Let us think, how can we carry on in this way? Jesus says, the one who believes in me will do also the works that I do. Brothers and sisters, I hope that those who see us moving and living and being would, would think, do you know what, every step that they take, I see a life springing up. I see life springing up where only death has existed before. I see fruit hanging on that tree and it's not the fruit of death, it's not the stench of death, it is the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of life. Brothers and sisters, that's the way Jesus brings us to the Father. That's the way Jesus tells us to exist as his people here until he comes to renew all things. Amen.